course, for now, we've been looking through the book of 1 Corinthians, speaking to the church in Corinth, and we're going to continue that. Uh, we'll see, a, we'll cover more ground uh, over the next few weeks here, but I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do in our hearts this morning as we look at what God has for us. This morning, I'll, we're, we're going to be speaking on a subject entitled The Balance of Christian Etiquette. The Balance of Christian Etiquette. I think this is important. We see a lot of things this in the world today that Christians are badly uh, struggling, even struggling with one another over, and struggling on how we can put things right and do things uh, 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 proper according to what the Word of God or the Word of God has for us. And uh, let's look at what the Bible says for us as we continue. The Bible says, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient." All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man and another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for, the con uh, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved." And verse number uh, 1 of chapter 11, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Father, I thank you for what we've read just a moment ago. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the balance of a Christian life. God, the, word, the Christian life is truly balanced. And I pray that you would help us this morning to have balance with our interaction with one another, balance in our interaction with the world, I pray that you would help us to have a gospel-centered, a Christ-centered balance. Teach us, guide us this morning. We need your help. We cannot, we cannot do this. We cannot uh, fully see what your word has without your help, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach our hearts this morning. Guide my thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You've been invited to a meal. Picture, if you will, being invited to a home in which, as you are welcomed by the host, he promptly takes you to the dining room. And as you enter the dining room, you see two large tables set. Two different complete meals, but two choices set before you. The host looks and says you can choose one table or you can choose the other. 
you look at the first table that is nearest, and as you look at the table that is nearest, you see the starter that is set out before you. The starter on that table is a huge bowl of M&M's, Cadbury eggs, all kinds of small sweets and different, uh, different assorted chocolates there. Along with that is Krispy Kreme donuts for the starter. Then you say, well, what is the main? And the main continues to be just as nutritious. The main consists of deep-fried, bacon-wrapped hot dogs. It's hot dogs on a mission to be supercharged, amen. Bags and bags of crisp. Nothing just simply salted potato, but everything that has any kind of uh, 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 MSG and all the other different ingredients that make food supposed to be food, amen? Uh, Watsits and all those things there set before you. And as you see the starter and the main, you look and ask and inquire what could be possibly more than this for a dessert. And as they look at the desserts, you see in front, uh, see around the table, dishes full of ice cream covered in chocolate sauce, fudges of all sorts scattered around. You see things like biscuits, chocolate chip cookies, and all kinds of things set before you. That's the first choice. And the host said, you can partake of this table or you can partake of the other table. You look at the other table and you say, what is that before us? That table would serve this salad for a starter. The main would consist of things like meat and potatoes or potatoes, sorry, we were talking the other day about tomato, tomatoes, or potato, potato, and it just came out, amen? Potatoes. That's how you say that word. <laughs> Green beans. And other vegetables. You look at this choice, and you see these two tables. One is something that your taste buds, taste buds would enjoy very, very much. The one table would be something that you would delight in, but suddenly at the end, you would shortly thereafter notice a great decrease after the sugar crash. <laughs> your stomach may be even churned and unsettled because of all the sugar and the caffeine and all the saturated fats that you partook of. Whereas the other would leave you Nourished, satisfied, and stronger. One of two choices. What will you choose? Paul, in the last verses, or at least last chapter, or this chapter, chapter 10, really sets before us two tables, two options two choices what will we choose he gives before us really a table of sin or a table of righteousness he says it's your choice you can choose what you will you can choose the pleasures of sin or the pleasures of righteousness 
The one was a table of rebellion. The other, a table of remembrance. The one was designed to lead astray. The other, designed to lead aright. The one was a lewd table. The other was the Lord's table. The one was designed to be a snare, a provision for their lust. The other designed to be a spur, a provision by the Lord. At one table there was a reputation of all the Lord had done for them. And at the other there was a recognition of all the Lord has done for us. In the one case the kinsman redeemer was absent. He was on Mount Sinai accepting a great revelation. In the other case the kinsman redeemer is absent. He is on Mount Zion anticipating a glorious return. The one table was a monument to their infidelity, idolatry, and, and immorality. The other was a memorial to his person, passion, and position. They sat down at the one table to eat and drink and rose up to play. We sit down at the other table to eat and drink and rise up to pray. The one table brought the people face to face with judgment. The other table brings us face to face with Jesus. Paul brings before us a choice of what table we would choose, of what table we would like to partake of. Notice what he says in verse number 21 in our, just, a, just before our text this evening, or this morning. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the, of the table of, of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? God wants us to sit at his table. God wants us to sit with him and to dine at his righteousness and his holiness. God wants us to do exactly what the psalmist penned in Psalm chapter 34 when the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. It is a wonderful thing, truly, to enjoy the bounties of what the Lord has given us and what the Lord wants to do with us. God wants us to partake of his righteousness. It is lasting. It is good. It is pleasurable for eternity. Paul, in our text this morning, begins to open the addressing of eating meats. And we've spoke about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where the contentious moments of eating meats abounded. Notice what he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's well. When I went to seminary, it was near Chicago, and we would take buses, school buses, the yellow school buses that you would maybe see on a film, uh, and we would go into Chicago, and we would encourage families, children, and such to come and to ride the bus. Of course, we had the parents' permission if the parents were going, uh, were not going to come, and things like that. And we would take them from all over Chicago uh, to a city that bordered the Chicago area called Hammond. And we would take them to the church there, and we would have church service, Sunday school, and uh, uh, services there for them, and then take them back to their homes. We would do that every Sunday. 
Well, in the spring, we would have some special things for those and to encourage to bring visitors and to bring families with them. And so one of the things that we would do on occasion is near Easter time to have an Easter candy scramble is what we would call it. And we would get on top of the buses with thousands of pieces of sweets all kinds of sweets, you name it, it was there. Anything from lollies to uh, taffies to uh, small Snickers and uh, chocolate bars and you name it, it was there. And we would stand on top of the bus and we would have all the children stand out in front of us. And there would be sometimes hundreds of children there. And we would take those sweets and we would just chuck them all over. And it would be just like a shower of sweets raining down upon that crowd there. And as that shower of sweets would rain down upon them, you would see children doing exactly what children would, wanting those sweets. They would jump up, reaching, trying to grab those sweets, trying to get all that their hands could get and all their hands could gather It was amusing watching. It was fun watching. But as you watched the children partake of those sweets and to get those sweets, you saw two main types of reactions to that. One of which was there would be a stronger ones, the ones that were a little bigger than those around them, the ones that had a little more agility, ones that could jump a little further, ones that had a little more weight behind them, and they would battle their way through the crowd to get as much as they could. They were not considered of any other. They just simply wanted all the sweets they could get. And they would reach through and push their way through to get a few more sweets. Then there was another type. That would be the ones that were considered of others. They could maybe push a smaller one beside them to get that sweet, but they saw that that little one was reaching down for that sweet, and instead of pushing their way through, they would be considerate and go after another piece in which no one was going for. They would be considerate of one another. You know, Paul here teaches us to be considerate, to have a spirit in which it's looking for every man's Wealth, that word wealth there doesn't mean finances. It actually means well-being, health. It means wanting to do that which is right, wanting to encourage and to help. It wasn't a manner of wanting to take all that there was for me, but rather to be a help and to look out for those around us. It wasn't a simply a free-for-all in life. You see, life is not a free-for-all. Life is not simply doing whatever feels good to me because I can do it. Sometimes we as Christians, we use a term called Christian liberty. So bless God, it's my liberty. And sometimes we can use our liberty to push and to jar. And we stop looking for others' health their well-being. The Garden of Eden was an amazing place. It was a place with much fruit, a place with much bounty. I personally believe there were hundreds 
yea, thousands of different choices in that Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve could enjoy. There was a lot of fruit, a lot of bounty, a lot of things that they could partake in. However, there was one tree that God said, I do not want you to partake of the fruit. What did Lucifer do? He called their attention to that one thing. Called their attention to that one tree that God had told them not to eat of. You know, God has given us great liberty. We can say all things are lawful. I can do all these things because I'm not breaking the law. True. But is it expedient? I can do it, however, because I'm saved. I, 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 I have that Christian liberty to do what I please. Does it edify? Paul is teaching us here to be considerate of others. It's a learned skill. That's a learned Christian trait. And Paul here is teaching how we can balance the etiquette of dealing and working with one another, with those around us. We mentioned a moment ago that Paul is speaking of the issue or the preference of eating meat. There was two sides. There was one side that said, bless God, I can eat anything. Any kind of meat, I'm going to eat it. Then there was another side that said, if it's offered to an idol, I'm not going to eat it. There was two extremes. There was two sides to this. And there was contention in the church. Now, we can look at this in a myriad of different issues today. And we're going to mention one here in just a moment. But I want us to see as we begin thinking about the etiquette or the balance to Christian etiquette here, I want us to see the context here of Scripture. Look, please, at verse number 25 as we look at the personal etiquette that Paul displays and Paul admonishes. Notice what he says. In 1 Corinthians 10.25, he says, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that word shambles is what we would use for store or shop today. That eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Paul recommends an etiquette in this way. He says, when you are going to the shop to buy meat. And as you come to that place, he says, if it's meat that you need. He asks the simple question, in essence, do you need meat? Well, yeah, that's why I'm at the shop. Do they have the meat that you want? Yes. He says, then buy it. No questions asked. He says, if you don't ask any questions, he says, your conscience will not be troubled if it is something that has been offered to an idol. If you don't know, it cannot offend your conscience. He says, truly, it's as simple as going to the shop seeing the price, I like that price, I like what that, how that meat looks, and I want that, and I'm going to buy it and bring it back to my home. It's as simple as that. It cuts through everything. It cuts through truly the simplicity of it. Paul just gives some simple personal etiquette as we shop in the shop, shop for food. Notice the reason in which he gives. He gives a Bible reason. For the earth, is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. That is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 34, verse number 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
What was his biblical reason for approaching etiquette in that way of need meat? Go and buy it. Don't ask any questions. Just simply purchase that meat. His sole purpose for that was the earth is the Lord's. Everything on the earth belongs to the Lord's. Nothing does not belong to the Lord. All of it is his. And since all of it is his, so what if a pagan priest had laid claim to the meat that eventually showed up in the butcher shop? Does that nullify? Does that invalidate the superior lay of claim or fact of God's ownership to that meat? Of course not. If someone takes meat and offers to an idol, does it make it not the Lord's anymore? Of course not. It is the Lord's. And so Paul spoke directly into the situation of forgetting the middleman, if we could put it that way. Forgetting those who are in between that which was taken from the animal and from that in which is in the shop. He says, if it is necessary, if it is something that you need, purchase it, no questions asked. That was his personal recommendation. That was his personal etiquette of balancing the Christian life. And Paul continues in giving a public etiquette. He begins to teach us not only how to personally do things, but what happens if there's more than one involved? What happens if there are others involved in this very thing? He teaches us how to handle these things. Notice what he says in verse number 27 as he extends or shows a polite invitation. He says, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast. Okay, so let's get the context. Maybe you're out in the shops. You meet maybe a friend or colleague from work. He says, oh, my wife and I have been planning a dinner. We've been looking for someone to invite would you come? You're a Christian, a child of God. You look at that and you see and you know the connection. Maybe it's a colleague that's been witnessing to for some time and the Holy Spirit of God impresses upon your heart. This is an opportunity. This is a moment in which you could go and you could present the gospel. He says, go. Notice what he says. And be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you eat asking no question for conscience sake he says if an unsaved person comes and asks you over for a meal and you feel like it's what the lord would have for you to do he says go asking no question about where the meat came from he says don't make it an issue don't make it a problem in christian circles we see something that is a similar manure, and that is something of eating food that has had an alcoholic substance cooked in it. We understand that alcohol is not wise. The Bible says, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. God speaks against alcohol in the Bible. God doesn't want anything for uh, uh, any substance to overtake our thoughts, overtake our uh, nature, our character, 
and bring us to a position in which we do that in which we would not normally do so. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, I don't want you to come to a point in which you are moved by a chemical substance or by a substance that causes you to do things that you would not normally do. He says, but comparatively, he says, you ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit ought to direct your life, not, not, not alcohol, not a drug or a chemical of some type. He says, but our bodies ought to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. But what about cooking with uh, is it wine or sherry or I, I don't even know uh, what it is, but those alcoholic substances, cooking with those things. What about that? Because the alcohol cooks off. The flavor is all that is given. Is it wrong to eat food that is cooked with some type of alcohol in it? Is it wrong to do that? If it's not wise to drink it, is it okay to eat it? Every one of us probably look at that and say, there's some preferences in which I have. And I can see both sides. As a church, when we prepare Christmas hampers or prepare items to give out to families that are needy, we go above and beyond to find food that it does not have uh, in its processes, that which would be alcoholic in nature. We search for things like mince pies as we, are, as we, end, as we just ended the Christmas season. It's common, it become more so, to put alcohol or uh, that wine or whatever it is that they cook in it and put that in a mince pie. Well, we go above and beyond to try to find mince pies and Christmas puddings and things like that that don't have in it because we don't know if there's someone who maybe is struggling with the addiction of alcohol and that reminder or fragrance or that taste could reignite some passions in their heart and life and lead them down a path that has been full of trouble and anguish. And that's what often alcohol leads to. It leads to hurt and family and self, and it leads down a destructive and a wrong path. And so we take a higher road in that way as a church. We do everything in our power to give out food that is free from any of those things, again, to be considerate of others. But what happens if you sit down at a meal and you're offered meat that's been offered to an idol or a mince pie that has been filled or cooked in part with some alcoholic substance? Paul says, don't ask, just eat. That's what Paul says. Paul says, just partake in it. It can't offend your, con uh, your conscience if you don't make it an issue of what is partaking there. It may be that as you think of that situation, remember, it's an unbeliever that has invited you for this meal. It may be that asking and making it an issue could give them cause to reject the gospel from you. Because they may not even understand, and we live in a society that truly is permeated with alcohol. It is sad and unfortunate that this country drinks as much alcohol as it does. Growing up in the States, familiar with a 
large waterfall called Niagara Falls. I've been told this statistic a couple of times, and from what I can verify, it is fairly accurate that in just the United Kingdom alone, enough alcohol is consumed in one year to run Niagara Falls for 15 minutes. That's astounding. That is millions and millions and millions of gallons of alcohol. It's permeating their society. You really can't go hardly anywhere except for maybe McDonald's that does not serve alcohol. It's everywhere. And so rejecting that might cause someone to say, well, wait a minute, do I, means I have to give up alcohol to accept Christ? Well, God will lead that way, and it's a different issue, different topic. God will lead that direction, certainly, as one yields to the Spirit of God, and we'll see that truth. But God, Paul says there's a greater issue at hand. Remember, it's an unsaved person. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's helping them to understand that there is a time and a place in order for these things to be made aware of or yea, come to the surface, as it were. Solomon wisely stated in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Paul stated that there's a time and a place for those things. There's a time and a place to... Uh, 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 to handle this situation but in this situation paul said we ought not to ask what is set before us and just partake in notice how paul continues in his handling with the public again remember don't forget that setting of a unsaved person bringing one to a feast bringing one to a dinner notice what he says in verse number 28 but if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience sake, Paul here now gives another situation. An unsaved person invites you over for a dinner. As they invite you over for a dinner, they make it a point to state that this meat has been offered to idols. They make it a point saying that I'm cooking with alcohol. I'm cooking with those things. It will, your food will be laced with it. Paul here exposes two different motives to this heart. One is a motive that is provocative. In other words, they are looking to see if they can get you as a Christian. They are looking to see if they have reason to cast blame and doubt upon Jesus Christ. And there's another motive here. The other motive is that of someone who is generally not wanting to hurt or possibly to offend your conscience. And that person maybe is trying to reconcile becoming a child of God and knows that this is an issue with some Christians and is trying to be sensitive to you as a child of God and with the preference or the conviction in which you may or may not have. Story goes from a book in, called 50 Years in the Church of Rome from a former father named Father Quinnicky. He, as he penned this book, tells of a moment in which a situation occurred that surrounded something of very similar nature. 
There was a zealous Roman priest in Quebec that was his colleague. He and this priest were visiting a recently bereaved uh, parishioner. The woman asked her priest to say a mass for the soul of the recently departed husband. The priest insisted on being paid for his services. The woman pleaded for her extreme poverty. She had nothing. She was too poor to pay for this service. This priest spotted a small piglet and demanded if it was hers. She finally confessed that it was, but pleaded it was all that she had in the world. She counted on feeding its slops so that when it was grown, she could sell it to help support her bereaved children. The priest became angry with this woman and told her that she either give him the piglet or her husband could do without the mass. Pickwick was very upset by the dialogue of his colleague, and, but it held his tongue in this situation. Finally, in the end, the priest stalked off and the mass unsaid. The woman held her, uh, had her piglet in an anguished part. Shinnequi had a conscience that accused him of cowardice. Shortly after this situation, he was seated at this colleague's table. A number of other priests were gathered to this dinner as guests. For dinner that night was a roast of particularly tender pork. Someone congratulated the host on the savory meat and the priest, laughing, said he had received it for saying mass for the soul of one of his recently departed parishioners. Father Iniquity, or, or, or Shiniquig, excuse me, looked up. He inquired if it was the piglet about which his colleague had argued with the widow. Laughingly, his host admitted that it was. Shinnequi put down his knife and his fork. He pushed back from the table and rose to his feet. He looked at his colleague, denouncing him for his callousness and his heartlessness, and his heartlessness, and declared that his conscience would not permit him to eat meat, however tender it was, that was procured by such despicable means. Then he walked out of the room. Truly, his conscience was appeased, and doubtless the consciences of all the others who remained sorely stung and convicted that time. Paul is speaking here about the conscience and about going against one's conscience in this time. And here he gives the reasons to reject. We mentioned the two broad cases. Now let's dig in for just a few moments. Give me just a hearing for a moment. I think it's important that we as Christians understand a balance in this area so often this is not taught in churches and christians struggle when in situations what do i do well the bible is teaching us what we do here the bible teaches us first of all notice what the bible says in verse number 28 last part of that let's read the full part of it just for context once again remind ourselves of this truth but if any man say unto you this is offered in sacrifice unto idols eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake for the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof oh wait a minute 
Didn't Paul just say, use that verse a moment ago, Psalm 34, to speak that the Lord, the earth is the Lord's, and because it's the Lord's, it, uh, something that's offered to idols doesn't invalidate the fact that it's from the Lord. And, but now he's using that same verse. But now he's using a different application. Now he is emphasizing of the lordship or the principle of who it belongs to. And now as this issue is brought forward of this has been offered to an idol, has now been given, the issue is no longer whether or not it is one's conscience to eat that, but it is rather a contention or a principle that is going and challenging God himself. It is a moment in which now this challenge is presented of I am questioning whether or not you think everything is the Lord's. And because of that very principle and because of that very concept, Paul says you cannot eat that meat. The earth is the Lord's. It is God's. And if someone is going to challenge God, you need to make sure that the Lord is magnified and glorified. So there is a time and a place in which one ought to reject, and when someone brings this to light, you ought to reject that. Someone offers a Christmas mince pie and says there's brandy or whatever it is, I don't know, that's in it. What should a Christian do? According to the Word of God, if we were to follow 1 Corinthians 10, we would have to say, thank you, but I'll, I'll be okay. I'll have something else if that's all right. I'll have another option. It is a question of rejecting the sovereignty of the Lord and truly it is a stand in which a child of God ought to stand firm upon that trust and that belief in God and God alone. It's a question, it's an approach, it's an attack on, on Christ. But also... As we said a moment ago, it could be someone who is respecting others' conscience. Respecting our choice to say yes or no. Look at verse number 29 with me, please. Notice he says, Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. What is Paul speaking of here? Let me bring this into perspective here. An unsaved person is inviting you to dinner. Paul is now using of the other. He's speaking of another Christian that's with you. Maybe it's another brother, sister in Christ. Maybe it's another family that this unsaved person is wanting to invite over. And he mentions this offer, this meat is going to be offered to an idol. You may not have no issue with it. Your conscience might say, I'll eat this meat. After all, I know it's the Lord's. But out of respect of the other, of the other brother in Christ that is going to be going with you to that meal, and you do not know his conscience, you do not know his preference, or maybe you do know his preference in that issue, and out of respect of the other, you choose to say, you choose to say, I'll, for, I'll, I'll forgive or, or I'll forego that opportunity because I don't want to wound the weak brother's conscience. I don't want to wound my brother's conscience here. And so Paul gives deference here. 
He said, when it comes time and when it's questioned and you see that is a possible issue, you choose out of what your brother may state to say no because, again, you are trying to show preference or show con- uh, 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 show consideration towards the conscience of others, and you don't want to wound that conscience. But watch this. Paul here continues. He asks a question that truly it brings up in our minds. Well, if I don't have an issue with it, why should someone else's preferences guide what I do? It's a valid question. What does he say? He says, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? He says, why is it that my liberty, I don't have a problem eating that meat. I don't have a problem doing that. My conscience is not pricked at all. I, I know it's the Lord's. I know it's the Lord's meat. I don't have any issue eating that. However, I choose not to because of my brother in Christ who may have or does have an issue with that. So why am I, why is my liberty, why is my freedom brought to a ransom? Why is my liberty ransomed for others? Why am I restricted because of what someone else thinks? Paul stated this way. He said in 1 Corinthians 8.13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul said, I would rather do without that meat. I would rather do without that mince pie. I would rather do without that food that's been laced with alcohol than to make my brother offend. He said, I would rather have something else I would rather skip that part of the meal. I would rather say, no, I can't accept this invitation in this way, or I can't accept that portion of the meal out of respect to help my brother in, brother in Christ. That is a strong believer. That is someone who is willing to take a stand and to say, I don't have an issue with it personally, but I'm willing to state that I'll forego it out of consideration for another not to hurt their conscience. That takes some strength. That takes some Christian etiquette to be put in balance. But he continues. Look at verse number 30. For if, I by, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks. Paul now here gives up or gives another question, another defi- uh, uh, a question mark in this in this etiquette. Maybe he partakes of this food, this meat. Maybe the question or the situation arises afterwards, not knowing what that brother in Christ's preferences are unknowingly so and this who's offended because he partook in that meat 
because he ate that mince pie, as we continue with the illustration there. He's offended for that and says, I can't believe that he would do so and begin to speak evil of Paul because he ate that meat. He ate that mince pie. So I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe he would do so. It's a preference. But the other, the weaker brother, begins to cast judgment or criticism upon the strong believer who is willing to simply eat that meat knowing that it is the Lord's. He says, why am I spoken evil? Why, am I, why is my name uh, be given something of an evil nature because I've given thanks for this food? I gave thanks for it. I gave acknowledgement that is the Lord's. I didn't know maybe that it was offered to an idol. The situation has now been exposed that it was offered to an idol and now I'm being criticized by others because I ate that meat. He says, why am I evil spoken of? He says, why is it that my testimony is being heard over this? He said, it's a preference. He said, it's something that ought to be between a Christian and a child of God. It is something that is not right or fair and is unscriptural for a child of God to cast judgment upon another or speak evil of another over a preference that one or other may have. You and I both have preferences. I don't know what your preference is regarding food cooked with alcohol. And by the way, I don't need to know. If you feel like I must, okay. And I'll respect that. But whatever your preference is there, know that it's a preference. I'm not going to die on a hill for a preference. not going to do that. There are some things in the Word of God that are convictions. I am convinced of those things. I will die on a hill for the gospel. I will die on a hill stating that God is God. I'll go through those battles, but when it comes to a preference, it's a preference. It's something between you and the Lord. It's something between me and the Lord. It is something in which we have to settle in our own consciences, and truly it is something in which we have to understand that the weak brother might be wrong. And we also must consider that the strong believer might be wrong. These are issues where you can make valid arguments in the word of God either direction. It is something in which you have to look at and you have to choose and have to see according to the word of God and your your conscience with the Lord have to settle on this preference. And when you settle on that preference, it is not right for us to cast blame or to hold others in ransom for it and say, well, you can't do that because of what I think. We ought not to hold one another ransom in that way. We ought not to hold one another in question in those moments. God wants us to understand, and Paul wants us to understand the etiquette as a Christian, as a children of God, to work together to not cause division. And truly, these matters of battles over preferences can cause division if one is not careful. We need to understand and be considerate of one another. Am I making sense this morning? Notice what the Bible says. Lastly, about purposeful etiquette. What is the whole reasoning for him? What is the whole reasoning for Paul explaining this etiquette and how to handle the situation? Here's the reason for it. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of 
myself. Is that what the Bible says? Do all to the glory of what makes me look good. Is that what it says? Do all to the glory of what makes me feel right. No, that's not what it says. It says do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, everything that we partake in, ought to bring glory to him. And how we handle situations like this ought to bring glory to our God. Notice how he continues. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles. We don't have time to look at all the situations in which there was some conflict in meals and drink between the Jews and the Gentiles, but there was a lot in that day. There's a lot in our day. He says, but give none offense to the Jew. Give none offense to those who have been brought up uh, uh, learning and loving the law and following the law of God. He says, don't give offense to them, nor give offense to the Jews or, or, or to the Gentiles. Those who don't know uh, what the Bible says, those who don't know all that the law has stated, nor to the church of God. It would be wonderful if we could just erase that little line right out of Scripture. <laughs> but it's there. It would be so much easier, would it not? <laughs> okay, I can I cannot eat pork when a, gen, when a Jew is around. Okay, I'll eat pork when the Gentiles are there. But now it says, nor to the church of God. That adds another diametric to it. That adds another level to it, does it not? Now... I've got to be considered of what my brother and sister in Christ is. Try to give none offense. doesn't mean we're walking on eggshells, but it means when we know someone else's preference or conviction, to be respectful of those things, considerate of those things. Paul said, consider one another. We ought to truly to do so among the local church. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the prophet of many, Paul said, I, I, I do my best to try to please and to help uh, not offend the consciences of those around me. I try to make sure that I live considerate among other people. Oh, how this would change the heart of so many people. Not only brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the world. Of being considering, of considering one another and giving honor one to another. But notice what his goal is. Notice what Paul is laser focused upon. That they may be saved. Paul said, I'm willing to put aside some of my own preferences so that I have an opportunity to preach Christ. Paul says the reason why someone may not even bring up the issue of whether or not this meat has been offered to an idol because God has given you an opportunity to present to this unsaved person the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and by you not making this an issue will give you an open opportunity to preach Christ. And he says, I want people to know Jesus and I'm willing to put my preferences aside for a moment so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says the focus is so that many he may be saved notice how he ends in verse number one of chapter 11 be followers of me even as i also am of christ paul concludes his dialogue here about 
eating meats and about eating and preferences here in, these, uh, in this out balance of Christian etiquette by saying, follow me, because my life is a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's a convicting verse right there. I pray that all of our testimonies tomorrow at work can state that exact verse in, 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 in two, or 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. I pray that all of our testimonies can demonstrate this at home, at school, wherever we are in the shops, that it would, people could state there is something different about that person. Christ is all over them. Their image is like that of the glory of God. There's something about their life. They are different. God is on them. Oh, that we would have that today. We need more Christ-like Christians today. Often we use that word Christians, not fully understanding the meaning. Christian means one that follows Christ, is a Christ-like example. We need some of that in this world today. Paul here, in these verses, verse number 30 through verse number 1, pulls us back to the big picture. Because sometimes we look at these issues with a microscope. And God says, let's pull out from the microscope and let's look at the telescope. Let's get the big picture of it. Is it worthwhile for someone to go to hell because of a preference? Is it worthwhile for the gospel not to go forward because I've made an issue of a preference? He's given us a big perspective. He's given us a bigger picture. He's helping us to pull back and see the end result of what you and I are to be. What are we to be? Ambassadors for Christ preaching the good news of the gospel. Charles Peace, the notorious criminal, was executed on the 25th of February, 1879. Just before his execution, a Church of England minister half-heartedly read to him the consolations of religion. As he read... He stated this, those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. Charles stopped the minister as he heard that statement and said, Sir, if I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk all over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that.